0: They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts, but they love Jesus, America's Keswick, and all of you.
1: Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill. Wilson. Well, good afternoon. It is Friday, episode 17 of the Bob and Bill podcast. It's Mother's Day weekend.
2: It is. It's going to be a great weekend. I wish I could be with my mom.
1: Yeah, I'm sure your mom would like that.
2: But I did put a card in the mail. Good. So she should be getting it.
1: So if you've not purchased a card for your mom, you know, some people don't even know what cards are.
2: It it is a, a, a lost art. Writing letters, writing cards of encouragement. But I'll tell you, there's nothing like getting a real card in the mail. Even, even Carter, he loves it when he gets mail.
1: Yeah, you know, my kids have a, an adopted grandmother, and they like writing to her because when they, when they write to her, she sends the money back. <laughs> so, but if you have a mom that's still on earth and not in heaven, great time to text your mom or call your mom, send her an email, let her know how much you love and appreciate her. So we have Elizabeth playing today. She's gonna play It Is Well With My Soul, beautiful hymn. Beautiful hymn and very timely for these, Mm -hmm. for the times that we're living in right now. So enjoy Elizabeth and Robert as they share that wonderful Horatio Spafford hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Mm -hmm. I love Roger Wilmore. In fact, we all love Roger Wilmore, and we just love his ministry of the word. And so we're going to listen to part two of the message that he shared on Wednesday. Let's give a listen to our good friend Dr. Roger Wilmore.
0: John 15, verse 1 through 7 I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, what? In me. In me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word that i've spoken abide where in me, in me. and i in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you what abide in me, in me. i'm coming <laughs> i am the vine you are the branches. He abides. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without, without, without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done. Abide. By the way, that word abide is a good word. It means to stay in. We talk about, it's the difference between living in your house and your home and staying in St. Memorial Lodge or somewhere else temporarily. The thing is that a lot of people's Christian life is like hotel living. You check out of one room and go to another and to another and another. You need to build a house and settle down and begin to abide in one place and that one place is in Jesus. I want to illustrate what I'm talking about because it's important that we understand what it means to be in Jesus, to stay in Jesus, to have a proper indwelling of being in Christ and Christ in us. I I have to get on an airplane occasionally to go places to, to preach and to minister. I had to do that coming up here on Saturday. I preach in Kezi conventions in Japan, and uh, when I go there, I typically fly from Atlanta to to uh, Tokyo on a Delta 777 jumbo jet, and um, it's quite a remarkable airplane. And uh, I did a little research on the 777 because I uh, I was a little bit concerned a thing so big. Couldn't really get off the ground. But um, I, I, I discovered that when it's fully loaded with passengers and fuel and luggage, that it weighs about 700,000 pounds. I don't know about you, but I'm getting nervous already. I want to tell you what happened in Atlanta. Saturday I'm sitting there waiting for the agent to call for boarding and before they call for boarding they always make this announcement sometimes a couple of times or more to the to the passengers you are allowed two carry-on pieces women can carry a purse and another bag men can carry a briefcase and another bag please Understand, full flight, every seat's taken, only two pieces of luggage. Well, I just carry on one. I try to make up for some of those disobedient ones, but uh, (laughs) I just carry one. But I'm I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, and I can't believe my eyes. Here comes a woman with two carry-on suitcases, a backpack, two small bags hanging on her shoulders, and what appeared to be a king-size bed comforter. (laughs) And I thought, she must think that plane's going to be mighty cold, but but I watched her. Well, because I got to board before she did, um, and I always take an aisle seat, I'm sitting there, while other people are boarding, and here she comes, almost knocked my brains out with some of that. <laughs> if if you board first, you don't want to get an aisle seat. Just get just get over, because here they come. And that was on an MD ninety, McDonnell Douglas ninety. No ninety. The eighty is smaller than the ninety. But this seven seven seven. 700,000 pounds. And they rev up those engines and begin to hold back that thrust, and then they release it. And in 57 or 58 seconds, that thing begins to lift off the ground. And in just a few minutes, I mean a very few minutes, I'm flying at 39,000 feet and an airplane that weighs 700,000 pounds. You say, how does that happen? Because that, it happens because that plane has built into it by its very design the ability to defy gravity. Now, I didn't say deny gravity. I said defy gravity. It, the, the aerodynamics of that plane give it the ability to just rise, 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 what might seem to be impossible. Now, I say all of that to say this. You and I find ourselves in situations on this earth, in our human bodies, in our human lives, that when we try to think, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get above this? How am I going to get beyond this? How am I going to rise to this challenge? How am I I going to do this? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It will be because, God, you are in Christ, and Christ can deny the gravitational pull that holds us down. Amen. And when we're in Christ, we can go 39,000, 40,000, and keep on going. Do you follow the illustration I'm trying to give you? In Christ. I remember one time years ago, I had a window seat on a flight from Birmingham to Dallas and I'm sitting there and a fruit fly came in from somewhere and I'm looking (laughs) I'm sitting at the window and I see this little fruit fly crawling around on the window and I promise you I could almost see that fly's eyes bulging. (laughs) He's looking he's looking outside that, that window And he's seeing things he'd never seen before. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't mean to be funny when I'm, I seriously didn't mean to be. I'm just thinking about this little, I can still see it in my mind. (laughs) That little fly, wow, Uh, 25,000 feet. I didn't know it looked like this. But he was enjoying the ride. I'm so thankful for what you and I can experience being at the higher altitudes in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Please don't forget that. Please don't forget that. So now I need to catch up with where I'm supposed to be in this sermon. How much time is left? A person who is in Christ is a new creation. I'll say just a word about this. New creation. There are two words in the Bible for new. One of them means new in terms of time. The other one means new in terms of quality. New in terms of time would be like an automobile factory that builds cars. And here they start one end of the assembly line, and there's not much to it, and there's a process, and it goes through this, and it comes out on the other end. And when it rolls out of the factory, it is a new car. New in terms of time. We're not talking about that. That's not the word that Paul uses here. He's using a word that means new in terms of quality. He's using the word that comes out of the picture of Jeremiah going down to the potter's house and seeing the potter make a vessel out of clay and he's working with that clay and something happens. There's a pebble. There's something inside that clay. And in the process... the the pottery is marred and scarred and he has to stop and he starts all over. But he doesn't discard the clay that he was working with. He works with the same clay but he works with it in a new way and he takes it and reshapes it and he makes it and he molds it. And that's exactly what God does with you and me. Some people think that when they get saved God's going to exterminate their old personality and give them a new personality. I going to tell you something, the Apostle Paul had the same personality after he was saved as he had before he was saved, but it was channeled in a different way. And some of you are thinking, God just needs to change my personality. I need to be a new person. No, God made you the way you are. He made you the way He wants you to be, and He doesn't want to change your personality. God does not make cookie-cutter people. He makes individuals. God never makes duplicates. Every person in this room is different. And I'll confess, my struggles in my early years was I felt like I needed to be somebody else because the person I was wasn't a person that God could use to make me somebody else. And I even tried to be somebody else so I could be better useful to God. Then all of a sudden, somebody was smart enough, kind enough, and loving enough to tell me to stop it. God made you the way you are. He took you and used the instruments that He placed in your life to shape and make and emold you. And it's through your personality. And that was one of the most freeing moments and times in my life. And I know some of you need to have the same experience. God will take your personality and use you because he makes us new in terms of quality. The second thing I would say about this verse is that when we look at this passage from Paul, a person who is in Christ not only is made new, but old things are passed away. What you love changes. What you want changes. And what you pursue changes. And I could, I could uh, have a conversation with you tonight and kind of put my hand on the pulse of what you love, what you want and what you're pursuing, and have a pretty good idea of what kind of spiritual condition you're in. What do you love tonight? Has he changed your love? Has he re- redirected your loves? Has he redirected your pursuits in life? Is your main ambition to know him, or is that a secondary? Is that a secondary desire? You see, when a person is a new creation. He has a new love for God, has a new pursuit of God, has a new want and desire of God. And as Stuart Briscoe once said, God meets man on the level of his desire. and God will give you as much of himself as you want. He meets you on the level of your desire. He changes us. I love Dr. Eric Alexander. He was a frequent speaker at um, the Keswick in England. He's a Scotsman, Pastored. Um, for a long time at St. George's Tr- Tron in Glasgow, but I heard Dr. Alexander tell a story about a church he pastored before going to St. George's Tron. He was in a mill village somewhere around Edinburgh, and uh, mill, a mill village community, mill village church. And Dr. Alexander said there was a, a time when people began, just started coming to the church. He said they just started coming, and and people that he didn't know, never seen, never met, and they were coming. To the church and they would come up to him approach him and and say i I want to know how to be saved i want to know how to know jesus as my savior and they were just coming out of those meals and out of the community and just coming to church and saying i want to know how to become a christian and he said after a week or two of this he said it, it was just the most amazing thing he said people are just coming coming to the church saying, tell me how to be saved, tell me how to be a Christian. So he, he finally said to some of them, he said, why, why are you doing this? Why are you coming here? Why are you coming and asking us to tell you how to be a, a Christian? And they answered, they said, there's a, there's a woman who works in the meals with us who, who used to be the, one of the meanest people we've ever known. Said, said that she was a smart aleck, she was rude, she was crude, and she had foul language, said she was just a bad person, nobody liked her, nobody wanted to be around her, and, uh, and she, she was mean, she was just a mean woman. And uh, Dr. Alexander said, and, but, but they said something happened to her, and all of a sudden, She's sweet, and she's kind, and she's loving. And we see her on her lunch break sitting in the, in the lunchroom at the meal, uh, having her lunch with a Bible, and she's reading her Bible, and she's praying. And she's so kind and sweet and loving to us. And she used to be so mean and rude and unkind to us. And so we ask her, what happened to you? And she said, I went down there to that church. And they told me about Jesus. Yeah. And I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Amen. And He's changed my life. And these people started going. And they started going out of the mill village there to the, to the uh, church and asking the pastor how they can be saved. They said, well, whatever she's got, we want it. Because her life has changed. Now folks, that il- illustrates exactly what all of us ought to be doing where we live, in our own communities. People ought to be looking at us, and they ought to have a desire based on what they see in us to have what we have, to have Christ in their lives. I read a story. I didn't read it. I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers. Do you all know that name, Adrian Rogers? He was pastor of the Bellevue Church in Memphis for many years, and, and I'm going to have to land this thing in just a moment, but I want to tell you this story. Um... Dr. Rogers, and this, this is a dated story, it goes back a ways, but he talked about these two young preachers who um, had a heart for God. Young, young men, they were kind of traveling about doing, trying to do revival meetings, and they went to a, a little town to do a, a revival meeting, and they, they weren't having much success. They were holding the meeting, and a few people were coming, but not much was happening And an older preacher who had advised them said said to them, if you can find out who is the meanest man in town and go to him, and and if you can win him to the Lord, God will open the door for a revival to happen. So they asked the preacher, said, who's the meanest? They asked the pastor of the church, who's the meanest man in town? And uh, they said... um, He said, the blacksmith, Big Big John, big old burly meanest man in town, said, he's murdered. He's murdered a man. He's a mean man. And those two young preachers mustered up enough courage to go down to the blacksmith's shop, and they found Big John hammering away at the anvil doing his work. And they were scared to death because he looked monstrous in his size and in his appearance. And they walked up to him and said, "Sir, we're here to talk to you about coming to the revival meeting, and just want you to know we'd invite you to come. We should come. We want to talk to you about Jesus." And he didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. So he just kept working. It's kind of a gruff way, and and they didn't say anything back. So they they did they did they just got to the point then and said, "Well, we're we're going to pray for you. We're, we're just going to pray for you, sir." And uh, we should come to the revival, but just know that we're, we're praying that God is going to save you and he's going to come into your life. And the Blacksmith didn't say a word. So they, they were just lost. They didn't know what else to do. So they, they were walking away, and the blacksmith said, um, as they were walking away, said, Boys, I'll be at church tonight. And they took off like lightning, ran back to the house of the pastor and said, Pastor, Big John said he's coming to the revival meeting tonight. And they said the pastor just wilted. I mean, he looked like he'd seen a ghost or something. And they said, they said well, what's the matter? Why, why aren't you joyful? Why aren't you happy about this? And he said, boys, that man is the meanest man in town. And he murdered a man. He murdered the husband of our church pianist. And everybody knows he murdered him, but he got, off, he got off on a technicality. And he's a free man when he ought to be in prison. He murdered a man. Well, they went on to church that night, and a revival meeting started, the service started, and Just about the time the service started, they heard the doors open and that big burly man walked in and sat down on the back row of that church. One of those young preachers preached his heart out that night, preached about how Jesus loved sinners and came to die on a cross for sinners and he would save sinners. They gave an invitation and that big old burly blacksmith got up and walked down the aisle came down to the pastor and fell on his knees and began to cry out for God's forgiveness and was saved. And after that, the preacher set him up on the, on the uh, front pew and continued to talk to him a moment and the pianist over there playing. And all of a sudden, the church pianist just stopped. She got up from the bench of the piano and everybody turned to see anticipating that she was going to find the nearest door and go away. But she walked over to that big old burly blacksmith and leaned over and kissed him on the cheek. The service ended, and people began to approach her, lined up to see her, and said, How in the world could you be so kind to the man who killed your husband? She said, that is not the man that killed my husband. He is a new creation in Christ Jesus. He is a new creation. Folks, I'm really not finished, but I don't think you need to hear any more tonight. I would rather stop now than to take you to the point that you were thinking, I wish you would quit. But... uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. Brother Dave, you know it's true. There's a stopping time. There's a stopping time. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight that's sick and tired of being sick and tired of being in bondage to the old man, to the flesh. And you want to be transformed. You want to. Be I wonder how many of you want to be able to say before you leave America's Keswick this week, that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. My old life is past. Jesus said, I will remember your sins no more. The Word of God says, I'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says, forgiven sin is cast into the depths of the sea. And some preacher said, and God had put up a no fishing sign, leave them there. I was sitting over here just a moment ago thinking in these very thoughts. And I, just, I my mind began to just try, try to comprehend how many sins, how many sins from this very tabernacle have been banished as far away as the east is from this, this very room. Men, women, coming, young people coming to Christ. Some of them with more baggage than we could imagine, more sin than we could imagine, but leaving this place changed by the power of God. I want. With all of my heart, I want you to know that. God's in the process of making trophies of grace. We've seen trophies of grace. God's in the process of making trophies of grace, more trophies of grace. And sometimes I look at this section right here and I emphasize that. God is in the process of making trophies of grace. But listen, sin is sin. And out there he's in the process of making trophies of grace. From the back row to the front row to the pulpit itself, God is in the process of making trophies of grace. Amen? Amen.
2: When my strength was all gone days are spent so selflessly, reaching out for what pleased me. Even then, God was faithful Faithful to me, looking back, his love and mercy.
1: Well, that was David Harris. And David Harris serves in our partner care team. And what a voice. Amazing. And you're a compliment of uh, one of my favorite Brooklyn Tabernacle songs, He's Been Faithful. Mm-hmm. And God has been faithful to the Ministry of America's Keswick. And as we go into this weekend, we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness mm-hmm. because this will be the first time in forever that we've not had Our addiction recovery weekend live here the reunion when the grads and their families are welcome back but we're going to do it virtually Mm -hmm. and uh, you can watch some of the sessions you can check that out on our website but it's our time to to rehearse and reflect on God's faithfulness how he has used the ministry of addiction recovery the colony of mercy and now Barbara's place In the lives of men and women who've been addicted and have been set free and so we need your support and we need your prayers tomorrow is our family freedom walk yes amazing and that's going to be the first time we're going to do that virtually at 11 o'clock robert's put together a wonderful celebration of praise if you'd like to give a sponsorship for the family freedom walk for (laughs) bob and me you can still call 1-800-453-7942 or you can donate online at our website, www.americaskezik.org. You can join us at 1.30 on Monday for Worship Live. We'd love to have you join us. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy
0: or it'll be in the description below.
1: If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskezik.org.
0: Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.